Hello listeners, welcome to Scenic Review. This is going to be a bit of a weird one. I had a busy couple of weeks, so this time I'm doing something a little bit experimental that involves no scheduling with people and hopefully minimal editing. So today I'm just going to be reading from a book. Uh, This is Euphuie's The Anatomy of Wit by John Lilly, one of my favorite playwrights. Um, hopefully this will be fun. Here it is, Euphues, The Anatomy of Wit, by John Lilly. The Epistle Dedicatory. To the Right Honorable, my very good Lord and Master, Sir William West, Knight, Lord of Delaware, John Lilly wisheth long life with increase of honor. Parasius, drawing the counterfeit of Helen, Right Honorable, made the attire of her head loose, who being demanded why he did so, he answered, She was loose. Vulcan was painted curiously, yet with a poultfoot. Venus cunningly, yet with her mole. Alexander, having a scar in his cheek, held his finger upon it that Apelles might not paint it, Apelles painted him with his finger cleaving to his face. Why, quoth Alexander, I laid my finger on my scar because I would not have thee see it. Yes, said Apelles, and I drew it there because none else should perceive it. For if thy finger had been away, either thy scar would have been seen or my art misliked. Whereby I gather that in all perfect works, as well, the fault as the face is to be shown. The fairest leopard is set down with his spots, the sweetest rose with his prickles, the finest velvet with his brack. Seeing then that in every counterfeit, as well the blemish as the beauty is colored, I hope I shall not incur the displeasure of the wise in that in the discourse of Euphues I have as well touched the vanities of his love as the virtues of his life. The Persians, who above all their king's most honored Cyrus, caused him to be engraven as well with his hooked nose as his high forehead. He that loved Homer best concealed not his flattering. He that praised Alexander most bereaved his quaffing. Demonides must have a crooked shoe for his wry foot, Damocles a smooth glove for his straight hand. For as every painter that shadoweth a man in all parts giveth every piece his just proportion, so he that deciphereth the qualities of the mind ought as well to show every humor in his kind as the other doth every part in his color. The surgeon that maketh the anatomy, showeth as well the muscles in the heel as the veins of the heart. If then the first sight of Euphues shall seem too light to be read of the wise, or too foolish to be regarded of the learned, they ought not to impute it to the iniquity of the author, but to the necessity of the history. He wooeth women provoked by youth, but weddeth not himself to wantonness as pricked by pleasure. I have set down the follies of his wit without breach of modesty, and the sparks of his wisdom without suspicion of dishonesty. And, Certes, 
I think there be more speeches for which gravity will mislike the foolish than unseemly terms which for vanity may offend the wise. Which discourse, right honorable. I hope you will the rather pardon for the rudeness in that it is the first, and protect it more willingly if it offend in that it shall be the last. It may be that fine wits will descant upon him that, having no wit, goeth about to make the anatomy of wit, and certainly their jesting in my mind is tolerable. For if the butcher should take upon him to cut the anatomy of a man, because he hath skill in opening an ox, he would prove himself a calf. Or if the horse-leech would advantage to minister a potion to a sick patient, and that he hath knowledge to give a drench to a diseased horse, he would make himself an ass. The shoemaker must not go above his latchet, nor the hedger meddle with anything but his bill. It is unseemly for the painter to feather a shaft, or the fletcher to handle the pencil. All which things make most against me, in that a fool hath intruded himself to discourse of wit. But, as I was willing to commit the fault, so am I content to make amends. Howsoever the case standeth, I look for no praise for my labor, but pardon for my good will. It is the greatest reward that I dare ask, and the last that they can offer. I desire no more. I deserve no less. Though the style nothing delight the dainty ear of the curious sifter, yet will the matter recreate the mind of the courteous reader. The variety of the one will abate the harshness of the other. Things of greatest profit are set forth with least price. When wine is neat, there needeth no ivy bush. The right coral needeth no coloring, where the matter itself bringeth credit. The man with his gloss winneth small commendation. It is therefore, methinketh, a greater show of pregnant wit than perfect wisdom in a thing of sufficient excellency to use superfluous eloquence. We commonly see that a black ground doth best beseem a white counterfeit, and Venus, according to the judgment of Mars, was then most amiable when she sat close by Vulcanus. If these things be true, which experience trieth, then a naked tale doth most truly set forth the naked truth, that where the countenance is fair there need no colors, that painting is meeter for ragged walls than fine marble, that verity then shineth most bright when she is in least bravery. I shall satisfy mine own mind, I cannot feed their humours, which greatly seek after those that sift the finest meal and bear the whitest mouths. It is a world to see how Englishmen desire to hear finer speech than the language will allow, to eat finer bread than is made of wheat, to wear finer cloth than is wrought of wool. But I let pass their fineness, which can no way excuse my folly. If your lordship shall accept my good will, which I always desired, I will patiently bear the ill-will of the malicious, which I never deserved. Thus committing this simple pamphlet to your lordship's patronage and your honor to the Almighty's protection, for the preservation of the which, as most bounden, I will pray continually, I end.
Your lordship's servant to command, J. Lilly. To the gentlemen readers. I was driven into a quandary, gentlemen, whether I might send this my pamphlet to the printer or to the peddler. I thought it was too bad for the press and too good for the pack. But seeing my folly in writing to be as great as others, I was willing my fortune should be as ill as any man's. We commonly see the book that at Christmas lieth bound on the stationer's stall at Easter to be broken in the haberdasher's shop, which, sith it is the order of proceeding, I am content this winter to have my doings read for a toy, that in summer they may be ready for trash. It is not strange, when as the greatest wonder lasteth but nine days, that a new work should not endure but three months. Gentlemen use books as gentlewomen handle their flowers, who in the morning stick them in their heads, and at night strew them at their heels. Cherries be fulsome when they be thought ripe, because they be plenty, and books be stale when they be printed, in that they be common. In my mind, printers and tailors are bound chiefly to pray for gentlemen. The one hath so many fantasies to print, the other such diverse fashions to make, that the pressing iron of the one is never out of the fire, nor the printing press of the other at any time lieth still. But a fashion is but a day's wearing, and a book but an hour's reading, which, seeing it is so, I am of the shoemaker's mind, who careth not so the shoe hold the plucking on, nor I so my labours last the running over. He that cometh in print, because he would be known, is like the fool that cometh into the market, because he would be seen. I am not he that seeketh praise for his labour, but pardon for his offence. Neither do I set this forth for any devotion in print, but for duty which I owe to my patron. If one write never so well, he cannot please all, and write he never so ill, he shall please some. Fine heads will pick a quarrel with me, if all be not curious. Flatterers a thank if anything be current. But this is my mind. Let him that findeth fault amend it, and him that liketh it use it. Envy braggeth, but draweth no blood. The malicious have more mind to grip than might to cut. I submit myself to the judgment of the wise, and I little esteem the censure of fools. The one will be satisfied with reason, the other are to be answered with silence. I know gentlemen will find no fault without cause, and bear with those that deserve blame. As for others, I care not for their jests, for I never meant to make them my judges. Farewell. Euphues. There dwelt in Athens a young gentleman of great patrimony, and of so comely a personage that it was doubted whether he were more bound to nature for the lineaments of his person, or to fortune for the increase of his possessions. But nature, impatient of comparisons, and, as it were, disdaining a companion or co-partner in her working, added to this comeliness of his body such a sharp capacity of mind that not only she proved fortune counterfeit, but was half of that opinion that she herself was only current. This young gallant, of more wit than wrath, and yet 
of more wrath than wisdom, seeing himself inferior to none in pleasant conceits, thought himself superior to all in honest condition, insomuch that he deemed himself so apt to all things, that he gave himself almost to nothing, but practising of those things commonly which are incident to these sharp wits, fine phrases, smooth quipping, merry taunting, using jesting without mean, and abusing mirth without measure. As, therefore, the sweetest rose hath his prickle, the finest velvet his brack, the fairest flower his bran, so the sharpest wit hath his wanton will, and the holiest head his wicked way. And true it is that some men write, and most men believe, that in all perfect shapes a blemish bringeth rather a liking every way to the eyes than a loathing any way to the mind. Venus had her mole in her cheek, which made her more amiable. Helen, her scar on her chin, which Paris called Cos Amores, the whetstone of love. Aristippus is wart. Lycurgus is when. So, likewise, in the disposition of the mind, either virtue is overshadowed with some vice, or vice overcast with some virtue. Alexander, valiant in war, yet given to wine. Tully, eloquent in his gloses, yet vainglorious. Solomon, wise, yet too, too wanton. David, holy, but yet an homicide. None more witty than Euphues. Yet, at the first, none more wicked. The freshest colors soonest fade. The teenest razor soon turneth his edge. The finest cloth is soon eaten with moths, and the cambric sooner stained than coarse canvas, which appeareth well in Euphues, whose wit, being like wax, apt to receive any impression, and having the bridle in his own hands, either to use the rein or the spur, disdaining counsel, leaving his country loathes his old acquaintance, thought either by wit to obtain some conquest, or by shame to abide some conflict, and, leaving the rule of reason, rashly ran into destruction, who, preferring fancy before friends, and his present humour before his honour to come, laid reason in the water, being too salt for his taste, and followed unbridled affection, most pleasant for his tooth. When parents have more care how to leave their children wealthy than wise, and are more desirous to have them maintain the name than the nature of a gentleman, when they put gold into the hands of youth, where they should put a rod under their girdle, when instead of awe they make them past grace, and leave them rich executors of goods and poor executors of godliness, then it is no marvel that the son, being left rich by his father's will, become reckless by his own will. But it hath been an old said saw, and not of less truth than antiquity, that wit is the better if it be the dearer bought, as in the sequel of this history shall most manifestly appear. It happened this young imp to arrive at Naples, a place of more pleasure than profit, and yet of more profit than piety, the very 
walls and windows whereof showed it rather to be the tabernacle of Venus than the temple of Vesta. There was all things necessary and in readiness that might either allure the mind to lust or entice the heart to folly. A court more meet for an atheist than for one of Athens, for Ovid than for Aristotle, for a graceless lover than for a goodly liver, uh, more fitter for Paris than Hector, and meeter for Flora than Diana. Here, my youth, whether for weariness he could not, or for wantonness would not go any further, determined to make his abode whereby it is evidently seen that the fleetest fish swalloweth the delicatest bait, that the highest soaring hawk traineth to the lore, and that the wittiest sconce is inveigled with the sudden view of alluring vanities. Here he wanted no companions, which courted him continually with sundry kinds of devices, whereby they might either soak his purse to reap commodity, or soothe his person to win credit. For he had guests and companions of all sorts. There frequented to his lodging and mansion-house, as, well, the spider to suck poison of his fine wit, as the bee to gather honey, as, well, the drone as the dove, the fox as the lamb, as, well, Damocles to betray him as Damon to be true to him, Yet he behaved himself so warily that he singled his game wisely. He could easily discern Apollo's music from Pan his pipe, and Venus' beauty from Juno's bravery, and the faith of Lilius from the flattery of Aristippus. He welcomed all but trusted none. He was merry, but yet so wary that neither the flatterer could take advantage to entrap him in his talk, nor the wisest any assurance of his friendship. Who, being demanded of one what countryman he was, he answered, What countryman am I not? If I be in Crete, I can lie. If in Greece, I can shift. If in Italy, I can court it. If thou ask whose son I am also, I ask thee whose son I am not. I can carouse with Alexander, abstain with Romulus, eat with Epicure, fast with the Stoic, sleep with Endymion, watch with Chrysippus, using these speeches and the other like. An old gentleman in Naples, seeing his pregnant wit, his eloquent tongue somewhat taunting yet with delight, his mirth without measure yet not without wit, his sayings vainglorious yet pithy, began to bewail his nurture and to muse at his nature, being incensed against the one as most pernicious and inflamed, with the other as most precious. For he well knew that so rare a wit would in time either breed an intolerable trouble, or bring an incomparable treasure to the common weal. At the one he greatly pitied, at the other he rejoiced. Having therefore gotten opportunity to communicate with him his mind, with watery eyes as one lamenting his wantonness, and smiling face as one loving his wittiness, encountered him on this manner. Young gentlemen, although my acquaintance be small to entreat you, and my authority less to command you, 
Yet my good will in giving you good counsel should induce you to believe me and my hoary hairs, ambassadors of experience, and force you to follow me. For by how much the more I am a stranger to you, by so much the more you are beholding to me. Having therefore opportunity to utter my mind, I mean to be importunate with you to follow my meaning. As thy birth doth shew the express and lively image of gentle blood, so thy bringing up seemeth to me to be a great blot to the lineage of so noble a brute, so that I am enforced to think that either thou didst want one to give thee good instructions, or that thy parents made thee a wanton with too much cockering. Either way they were too foolish in using no discipline, or thou too froward in rejecting their doctrine, either they willing to have the idle, or thou willful to be ill-employed. Did they not remember that which no man ought to forget, that the tender youth of a child is like the tampering of new wax, apt to receive any form? He that will carry a bull with Milo must use to carry him a calf also. He that coveteth to have a straight tree must not bow him, being a twig. The potter fashioneth his clay when it is soft, and the sparrow is taught to come when he is young. As therefore the iron, being hot, receiveth any form with the stroke of the hammer, and keepeth it, being cold, for ever. So the tender wit of a child, if with diligence it be instructed in youth, will with industry use those qualities in his age. They might also have taken example of the wise husbandmen, who in their fattest and most fertile ground so hemp before wheat, a grain that drieth up the superfluous moisture, and maketh the soil more apt for corn, or of good gardeners, who in their curious knots mix hyssop with thyme, as aiders the one to the growth of the other, the one being dry, the other moist, or of cunning painters, who for the whitest work cast the blackest ground, to make the picture more amiable. If therefore thy father had been as wise an husbandman as he was a fortunate husband, or thy mother as good a housewife as she was a happy wife, if they had been both as good gardeners to keep their knot as they were grafters to bring forth such fruit, or as cunning painters as they were happy parents, no doubt they had sowed hemp before wheat, that is, discipline before affection. They had set hyssop with time, that is, manners with wit, the one to aid the other, and to make thy dexterity more, they had cast a black ground for their white work, that is, they had mixed threats with fair looks. But things passed or past calling again. It is too late to shut the stable door when the steed is stolen. The Trojans repented too late when their town was spoiled. Yet, the remembrance of thy former follies might breed in thee a remorse of conscience and be a remedy against further concupiscence. But now to thy present time. The Lacedaemonians were wont to show their children drunken men and other wicked men, that by seeing their filth they might shun the like fault and avoid such vices when they were at the most like state. 
the Persians, to make their youth a poor gluttony, would paint an epicure sleeping with meat in his mouth, and most horribly overladen with wine, that by the view of such monstrous sights they might eschew the means of the like excess. The Parthians, to cause their youth to loathe the alluring trains of women's wiles and deceitful enticements, had most curiously carved in their house a young man blind, besides whom was adjoined a woman, so exquisite that in some men's judgment Pygmalion's image was not half so excellent, having one hand in his pocket as noting their theft, and holding a knife in the other hand to cut his throat. If the sight of such ugly shapes caused a loathing of the like sins, then, my good Euphues, consider they, their plight, and beware of thine own peril." Thou art here in Naples a young sojourner, I an old senior, thou a stranger, I a citizen, thou secure, doubting no mishap, I sorrowful, dreading thy misfortune. Here mayest thou see that which I sigh to see, drunken sots, wallowing in every house, in every chamber, yea, in every channel. Here mayst thou behold that which I cannot without blushing behold, nor without blubbering utter, those whose bellies be their gods, who offer their goods as sacrifice to their guts, who sleep with meat in their mouths, with sin in their hearts, and with shame in their houses. Here, ye here, Euphues, mayst thou see, not the carved visage of a lewd woman, but the incarnate visage of a lascivious wanton, not the shadow of love, but the substance of lust. My heart melteth in drops of blood to see a harlot with one hand rob so many coffers, and with the other to rip so many courses. As thou art here amidst the pikes between Scylla and Charybdis, be ready if thou shun Sirtis, to sink into Simplicrates. <laughs> These words. <laughs> mm. Let the Lacaidaemonian, the Persian, the Parthian, yea, the Neapolitan, cause thee rather to detest such villainy at the sight and view of their vanity. Is it not far better to abhor sins by the resemblance of others' faults than by repetition of thine own follies? Is not he accounted most wise whom other men's harms do make most wary? But thou wilt haply say that although there be many things in Naples to be justly condemned, yet there are some things of necessity to be commended. And as thy will doth lean unto the one, so thy wit would also embrace the other. Alas, Euphues, by how much the more I love the high climbing of thy capacity, by so much more the more I fear thy fall. The fine crystal is sooner crazed than the hard marble. The greenest branch burneth faster than the driest oak. The fairest silk is soonest soiled. The sweetest wine turneth to the sharpest vinegar. The pestilence doth most rifest infect the clearest complexion, and the caterpillar cleaveth unto the ripest fruit. The most delicate wit is lured with small enticement unto vice, and most subject to yield unto vanity. 
If therefore thou do but hearken unto the sirens, thou wilt be enamoured. If thou haunt their houses and places, thou shalt be enchanted. One drop of poison infecteth the whole ton of wine. One leaf of colloquintida marreth and spoileth the whole pot of porridge. One iron mould defaceth the whole piece of lawn. Descend into thine own conscience, and consider with thyself the great difference between a staring and stark blind, wit and wisdom, love and lust. Be merry, but with modesty. Be sober, but not too sullen. Be valiant, but not too venturous. Let thy attire be comely, but not costly. Thy diet wholesome, but not excessive. Use pastime as the word importeth, to pass the time in honest recreation. Mistrust no man without cause, neither be thou credulous without proof. Be not light to follow every man's opinion, nor obstinate to stand in thine own conceit. Serve God, love God, fear God, and God will so bless thee as either thy heart can wish or thy friends desire. And so I end my counsel, beseeching thee to begin to follow it. And I'm going to stop there for today before Euphues gets to respond to this very kindly given advice. <laughs> Thank you for bearing with me and listening. If you did, I had a little bit of trouble with some of those names. Maybe you could tell. John Lilly has a very distinctive style that uh, includes a lot of different metaphors for the same thing. Why use one simile when you could use five or six or ten? <laughs> if you liked this, let me know. I might uh, continue with this at some point. The podcast is not switching to just be a Euphuies audiobook, but uh, maybe I'll put out more of these when I take a break from regular episodes between season one and season two. And um, I guess I'll just say a solitary curtains. Goodbye, audience.